together. Lord, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, We thank you for your word. And uh, as we uh, dive into the last week of this series, I just want to pray that um, I would would speak your truth uh, and I would speak it well and that I wouldn't be in the way of it at all this morning. We again thank you for Jesus and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to start out our time uh, together with kind of a a basic statement, but I think it's a good place for us to start, and and that is that change is hard. Uh, Changing your life, changing your marriage, changing your habits, change is hard. Uh, And and there's a lot of examples I could throw out there. Uh, the, The example that immediately came to my mind was, do you remember potty training your kids? Uh, that, that is an illustration of how difficult change can be. Uh, if you remember how that went, you were putting Cheerios in the toilet for your boy. Uh, you did reward charts for your kids. If you go like a big boy or a big girl 10 times, those become potty bucks. And then we're going to go to the store and you can pick something out of the toy aisle. And you're like, how did this become my life? When did my life become this conversation? And you begged, and you pleaded, and you prayed, and you confessed secret sin, right? You did all this stuff, thinking, is it my sin that's keeping my kid from doing this, right? And you pleaded with the Lord to have them potty, and just when you thought they were potty trained, they regressed or they went backward, and then out comes the reward chart again. Now, just real quick time out here. I know some of you, because I've heard your stories over the years, that your kid woke up one day and said, could I start pottying on a big boy or big girl potty? We resent you. <laughs> All right? Those of us that had it, we don't want to hear your story. Keep your story to yourself. Right? We don't want to hear that. There were some of us that were on the struggle bus for years, begging, pleading, paying, writing checks to our kids. Right? to just get them to do this one thing. So please don't share that story. We don't care, right? Congratulations, you have a miracle kid. We're happy for you, all right? Change is hard, right? You remember the last diet you were on, uh, the last time you made a resolution, the last time you decided uh, to, to change a habit, to read more, to serve more, and out of the gate it goes really well, and then life happens, uh, polar vortex happens, and your goal to walk every day all of a sudden you know, goes out the window. Uh, new habits are not easy to form. Now that being said, change is hard. It's not impossible. Change is possible. I bang this drum a lot, and I want to bang it again one more time this morning uh, because there is a cultural, a cultural narrative that is taking hold that people can't really change. And sometimes it's a self-diagnosis. This is just how I am, right? I've lost track of the number of times I've heard that over years. This is just how I am. I really can't change. Sometimes it's a diagnosis of our enemies. They'll never change. They'll always be this way. They'll always be this corrupt. They'll always be this dangerous. They'll always be this evil. And sometimes it's a generic critique of culture. This is just how we are as a nation. This is how America is. This is how America will always be. 
And the truth is, the, tr- the idea that people can't change, it's cynical, it's also a bit godless. Because one of the stories of the Bible, especially one of the stories of the New Testament, is this God who shows up and changes people. Repeatedly in the Gospels, repeatedly in the New Testament, God arrives, Jesus arrives, and people are forever made new. They are brought into new life. And this is a time of year uh, where where we think about this. As the new year rolls around, it's like, what are the changes I want to make? What are the new habits I want to form? What are the steps that I want to take? And I want you to know this morning, you may have broken your resolution already. I've broken more than one of mine, and and I get that. But don't give up. Change is possible. As a matter of fact, change, if we do it the right way, change is actually guaranteed in the gospel. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, again, what we were in Second Corinthians last week too. I want to show you a different passage. Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Corinth. And uh, you remember we talked about last week that First Corinthians, he just lays into this church about all of their problems, about all of the infighting, all of the celebration of sin, all the things, the neglecting of the poor. And he addressed First Corinthians, it's almost cringy a little bit to read it just one rebuke after another. And Paul's like, you guys need to change. Uh, You guys need to behave differently. You need to set some more disciplines in place. And some good things happen because I think it's obvious that Corinth did change. Second Corinthians reads uh, in a totally different way uh, 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 than first Corinthians. And he wants to remind them in second Corinthians three. I love this text. This has become one of my favorite texts. Uh, He wants to remind them of how change comes to a person, how it comes into their life, uh, and how it really is guaranteed. Sometimes when we look at our life, we see a gap. We're going to talk more about this later, but we see a gap between the person I want to be and the person I know I should be and the person God's calling me to be. There's a gap between that and the person that I am. And what do we do about the gap? This passage addresses it. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, brings change? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that which was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have this hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this same day, uh, uh, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there are freedom. And this has become, verse 18 has become my favorite verse in all the scriptures. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So he starts, out, he starts out referring to this story involving Moses from the Old Testament. And there comes this time where Moses goes up onto the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments from God himself. And God is giving him the beginning of the law. Essentially what the Ten Commandments were, were the, the Ten, Ten Commandments were like chapter headings of a book uh, with hundreds of other laws that, w- w- that would come. And the story says that Moses went up on this mountain and he received the Ten Commandments from God. And when he came down from the mountain, his face was literally glowing, having been in the presence of God. And when he came down from that mountain, Moses would put a veil over his face. He would wear a mask, a literal mask. And the purpose of the mask was twofold. One was to keep people from freaking out over his glowing face. Right? So he comes down off the mountain, he goes to buy groceries, his face is on fire. It's weird, right? So to keep people from freaking out over the glowing face from having been in the Lord's presence, the secondary reason was to keep people from seeing the fading glory of the Lord. That when Moses came down off that mountain, the longer he was away from the mountain, the longer he was away from God's presence, the less his face glowed. And he didn't want people to see, for a variety of reasons, he didn't want people to see the fading glory of God in his life. Paul seems to indicate in this passage that this is an illustration of the law period of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments period, that God's law was intended to do several things. It was intended to demonstrate God's character. So if you ever want to know who God is, read the Ten Commandments. You can see who God is and what he cares about. God cares about life. God cares about justice. God cares about holiness. We learn this from the law. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not steal. So it helps us to see God's character. It also was intended uh, that it makes it so that we can recognize Jesus someday when he came uh, for, for, for God's people, is that Jesus was the law become flesh. And so the law was intended to prepare the hearts and the minds of the people so that when the son came, when the Messiah came, when the law truly became flesh, that they would say, oh, I know the law, so I recognize Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah. And the third thing the law was intended to do was to make us aware of our sin. That when we read the law, we become aware that we are in need of a Savior, we are in need of a forgiveness that we have screwed up. This was the purpose of the law. The law was never intended to be the end of the story. Paul actually makes a very strong statement. He says, the law was transitory. The law was always intended to fade. Why? Because a new and better way was coming. Now, this is not to say there's no value in the law. That would be incorrect to say there's no value in the law. Of course there's value. We want to learn all we can about God, so we study the law. We want to be made aware of our sin, so we study the law. We want to nurture our need for our Savior, so we study the law. It's not that the law has no value. The law faded in light of something new and better that was coming. So the law was not able, one of the things the law was never able to accomplish was the law was never able to bring about permanent and lasting change in the, the lives of, of God's people. Uh, all you have to do is read the Old Testament and you'll see this. Because you would think this strategy would work, right? That God would say, this is what I command you. This is how you should live. This is what you should do. And you would think that would be a perfect execution and people would say, God will obey you. 
We'll do what you've said. We, we will absolutely do all of those things. And those of us uh, that have kids know that's not how it works. Right? You command your kids, you order your kids, and you'll discipline your kids, and you exhort them to obey, and the obedience comes for a time, and the minute you walk out the room, they grab the chocolate chip cookie for the fifth time, right? That, that's part of our sin nature. And you read the Old Testament, and you'll see this again and again and again, that God commands, God orders, God decrees, God does his thing, and the people are obedient for a measure of time, and then over time, they begin to fall, worship other gods, engage in sin, look just like their neighbors. The problem wasn't with the law, and certainly the problem wasn't with the lawgiver. Welcome to the new year, the problem's us. This is why the law cannot bring lasting change in a person. This is why a law cannot bring lasting change to your family. I, in some ways, I kind of wish it could, that you could just stand up here and give everyone, this is the law of life. This is, how, this is the law that's going to change your family. This is the law that's going to change your marriage. This is the law that's going to change your life. In some ways, that would be easier, but the law cannot do that, and here's why. Lasting change requires a change of heart. Lasting change requires a change of heart. We have a heart problem. We need new hearts. And the law, for all the law does well, the law was never designed to give us new hearts. The law was designed to show us the heart of the lawgiver. The law was designed to make us aware of our need for a savior. The law does a lot of good things, but the law cannot change the hearts of the hearers. Boy, the prophets of the Old Testament, they tried to do this. They talked again and again to Israel that God would issue a command, they'd obey for a while, then they'd fall away, and God would send a prophet in. And, you know, you brood of vipers, right? A lot of stuff would start out like, you know, all, this, this condemning kind of nature of the prophet. said, hide God's law, and learn to love God's law. Learn to love God's law. Hide it in your hearts. They're trying to move people's hearts toward loving the law and loving the lawgiver. But our human condition makes this very difficult. We have a heart problem. And that is the root of any change, any sin that you engage in, any change that you want to make. If you go back far enough from it, you can see there's something going on with my heart. I love this more than I should. I do this more than I should. There is something going on with my heart. And this paradox is why uh, Paul writes in verse 15, he says, even to this day, Paul's writing in the New Testament, remember, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. There is this rebellious side of us when it comes to the law. There's a rebellious side of you. Some of us are more compliant than others, but there is this rebellious side to you if you're honest. And there is a rebellious side to me at the end of the day that says, I'm not going to do what I'm told. I'm just not. Why? There's something going on with our hearts. And this is what Paul is addressing. See, lasting change, real change, is going to come a different way for you and me. 
but we need someone to come in and change us from the out, not from the outside in with a law. Like, give me a law of finances. Give me a law of marriage. Give me a law of life. And then I can obey that law and have life change. That will work for a time. But we need change to not come from the outside in. We need change to come from the inside out. That man, I want to love my spouse better. I want to love my family better. I want to love my neighbor better. God, I need a new heart. And with a new heart and a new mind, lasting change is not just possible. With a changed heart and a changed mind, lasting change is guaranteed. It is. It's guaranteed. When your heart changes toward your family, when your heart changes toward your spouse, when your heart changes toward your neighbor, lasting change isn't just possible. No one needs to give you a law when your heart has changed. Lasting change is not just possible. It is guaranteed. And the good news is this is exactly what Jesus came to do and bring. He came to take our hearts of stone and to give us hearts of flesh. He came to change and transform our hearts and our minds and to make us new. And this text tells us exactly how he does it, all right? So there's no wondering. Sometimes we'll use this very hyperbolic spiritual language of, I just need a new heart. Or God, God, please just give me a new heart. We'll sing it, and we don't even really know how it happens. It's just something we say. But this text shows us, verse 18, the Lord is the Spirit, and where, the, we, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And here it is. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed in his Im- into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So he says, one of the things that Jesus came to do is to give us his Holy Spirit. And this is great news because we've been talking about how change doesn't come from a law, from the outside in. Change comes when we have new hearts and new minds. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. The Spirit changes our hearts and changes our minds and and does this work. And the way that he does this work, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit will change your heart. The Spirit will change your mind. Our part of it is what Paul says. He does this work through what Paul says is the contemplation of the Lord's glory. That's what you do. That's what I do. We contemplate the Lord's glory. Very interesting word. It's hardly ever used in your New Testament. Another way it could be translated, this contemplation piece, is that we behold that you behold the Lord's glory. Another way it could be translated is we reflect on the Lord's glory, but my favorite image of this verse has to do with a mirror. So think about, you're going for a very important job interview, you want this job desperately, or you're going out on a date and you really like this guy or girl and you're hoping hoping that you guys can be a couple. You're getting ready to do something very important. What do you do? You go and you behold, you would never phrase it this way because it's weird, you behold yourself in the mirror. Like, hey, I'm beholding myself in that mirror. I look good, right? You behold yourself in the mirror. You reflect on yourself in the mirror and you make sure your hair looks okay, that there's nothing in your nose, that there's nothing in your teeth. You do that. You have beholded, you have reflected, you have studied, and this is what we are called to do. This is our part of it when it comes to God. We behold him. We reflect on him. We study him. 
and his character and who he is. We look at Jesus like we're looking into a mirror. And here's what Paul promises. The spirit shows up in that process. That's our part of the process. The spirit shows up when we behold. The spirit shows up when we study. The spirit shows up when we gaze. The spirit shows up and changes our hearts and changes our minds. So when you hear this very hyperbolic language of God, I just need a new heart or God, I just need a new mind. This, you don't have to wonder about how that happens. This is how it happens. We contemplate his glory, the spirit shows up and changes us from the inside out. And I am telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when your heart changes and when your mind changes, your life changes. You can set all the resolutions you want. You can white knuckle it. You can do all of that stuff that our culture, you can kind of focus on you and the changes you want to bring about. You can do all of that. But I am telling you, until our hearts change, until our minds change, Change will never come. But when they do change, it is not just possible. It's guaranteed. So do you have a desire to be more patient? Certainly, you could white-knuckle it. You could set a goal and say, this year, I'm going to be more patient with my kids or my coworkers or in traffic. You could do it that way for sure. And you could probably have, in my case, three days of success. Or... You could contemplate the Lord's patience. You could Google every time it appears in the scriptures. And you could think about his patience toward you. How patient God has been with you. How patient God has been with your family. How patient God has been in this world. And you could allow those verses to penetrate your heart and your mind and watch what the Spirit does through that. How he slowly, it's not going to happen in one day, but over time as we contemplate his patience, how more patient you become because the spirit changes your hearts in that process. You have a desire to be more generous? You could white knuckle and say, I'm going to set up automatic payments or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to set up automatic checks. I'm going to do all the. I am going to be more generous this year. White knuckle it. Watch what I can do. You, you could do that. You could. And you'd have a little bit of success with that. Or you could contemplate God's generosity. How God so loved the world that what he did was he gave. You could think about his love. You could think about the joy that is found in him if you desire more love and more joy in your life. You could, more peace. You could contemplate how he brings peace. You could Google all of the verses on all of these topics and allow those verses to penetrate your heart and penetrate your mind and watch what the Spirit does. As we contemplate his glory, the Spirit shows up and change isn't just possible. It's guaranteed. Talked about the gap earlier. This is the time of the year when we all think about the gap. And what do you do when there's a gap between the person you want to be and the person you know that you are. I think, what do you do when there's a gap there? It's like, this is who I want to be. This is who God is calling me to be. But this is who I, I really am. What do you do when you see that gap? I think some people set resolutions. 
Unfortunately, I think, I think some people get resigned. This is just how I am. I think what some people do is what Moses does in this text, and it is a form of despair that I just don't want people around me to see the decrease in glory of God, so they wear a veil. They wear a mask. When they see that gap, like, this is who I want to be, this is who I wish I was, but this is who I really am, they, they, it's a form of despair, but they say, I'll just wear a mask. I'll just wear a mask and I'll, I'll go to church and I'll wear my veil every Sunday. I'll, I'll put a different one on and I'll pretend to be the person I wish I was. And I'll wear a mask just like Moses did. I'll cover it up, I'll hide. This is one of the great criticisms of the church, right? That when people come, they're like, they're not authentic. They're not real. They all wear masks. I've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of prodigals over the years. And what I mean by prodigal is people that were raised in a faith environment and then for a lot of reasons they walked away. And not always, not always, but many times this is what they'll point to. Like, I feel like my family wore a mask on Sunday. That we portrayed ourselves to be this perfect family. But we were far from it. That we're fighting all the way to church yelling, screaming, bickering, fighting. And we get to the front door. How are you? I'm better than I ought to be, right? I'm better than, you know, God blessings, you know, that, that whole thing. And what it does, mask wearing, veil wearing, it keeps us from seeing reality about where we really are. And it focuses on mask portrayal and not contemplating God's glory. Pretending to be changed is not the same as actually being changed. And I think what every one of us in this room wants, what every one of us in this room wants is actual change, not pretend change. And man, I pray about this a lot because I, I do not want my kids to have that narrative. Uh, and I understand that I can be very prone to this narrative as a family, as a senior pastor who has a family in, in this church. But like I tell my kids all the time, we are, we're the Higgses and we are who we are, right? We're not hitting that door and pretending like we're every, everything's honky-dory. We are who we are. And we're going to be honest. We're going to tell stories that make ourselves look real because we are real. And we are not going to be a family that wears a mask. And I don't want you to wear a mask either. That has been my prayer for this church ever since I've been here, that we would be a non-mask-wearing church, that you would come here and sometimes it's uncomfortable. How are you doing today? Not good. Oh, and it creates an awkwardness, but it's real, and I love it. I love it. I don't love that you're not doing well, but I love, I love the honesty of it, that I had a rough week. I'm not doing well. I am struggling and that we are a church where you don't have to wear the veil. You don't have to wear the mask. You can come in here and be honest and real and shed the mask. See, if there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be, projection and mask wearing is not the answer. Paul says, let's lose the veil. Let's lose the mask. And he says, we don't want to, we, we don't want to, wear the mask and focus on projection, we want to focus on reflection, that allowing God's spirit to transform us as we contemplate his glory and his character. 
I think a lot of people wear a mask in addition to that. A lot of people are still looking for a new Moses, a new lawgiver to, to just tell them what to do. I think bookshelves, bookstores, Amazon, it is filled with people that you can hire, pay for their book, to be a lawgiver for you. Here's five laws that will lead to a better family. Here's five laws that will lead to a better life. Here's five laws to do whatever. A self-help and a self-reliant mindset. And those books have value. I read those books a lot. If our hearts are changed. They have value if our hearts are different. We can put in some parameters and some laws when our hearts are new and our hearts have been changed because we are sinners and we're rebellious and we need new hearts. Otherwise, they will lead to temporary change. Five rules for new living. Five rules for a new marriage. A new kid by Friday. Right? That was a big one when I was growing up. I think my parents bought five copies. Right? <laughs> new kid by Friday. Right? Are you kidding me? A new kid by Friday? These are human beings you're dealing with. But that, that's the mindset of it. Because we're going to give you some rules, we're going to give you some laws, and watch the change that comes. I can pretty much guarantee, if you head over to Barnes & Noble, like in Springfield this afternoon, if you happen to be over there, and you start wandering the bookshelves of the self-help aisle, I can promise you what you are not going to see is a book entitled Contemplating God's Glory, The Key to Changing Your Life. Doesn't mean it's not true. It's what Paul says. It is the absolute key to changing your life, to changing your marriage, to changing your family. It is giving your life to Jesus, receiving the Holy Spirit, and then the rest of your life contemplating his character and his glory forever. It is the way the Spirit works. And I don't know about you, but when I'm going, I'm going through a, a season where sometimes I'll come home, I'd be like, I feel like I've just been angry all the time. Or I feel like I'm, I'm harboring resentment toward this person. I can't forgive them. And, I, and I'll start to kind of digest this with Cheryl a little bit. I'll tell you the realization that I have come. Whenever I'm walking through a valley like that, it is almost always I have given up on some discipline regarding contemplation. I've stopped reading or I've stopped doing a devotional, or it's been maybe a little bit since uh, I've really uh, attended a service. I, I preach here, and then there's a couple services that I watch through the week just, just for me uh, to, to be able to hear God's word proclaimed by somebody that's not me. Um, and uh, so, so those disciplines are important for me. And when I disconnect from those disciplines, I will start to see this, man, my heart, why am I angry? Why can't I forgive? Why... why why is my generosity, and it's, it, it is always tied to a lack of contemplation. So we do this. We engage in it our whole lives. We contemplate God's glory. How? Well, we do it privately. Hopefully you have some disciplines, daily disciplines, that allow you to contemplate God's glory. You're reading through the New Testament. You're engaging in a podcast. You're reading a book. Hopefully you're engaging in some disciplines that allow you to think about God and his glory and the glory of his son, Jesus. The uh, church up in Chicago, Willow Creek, several years ago, they did this reveal study. And they were studying the people of their church that were seeing the most dramatic change in their life. And they're like, we want to know what these people are up to. And what they were expecting to hear these people say was, oh, I went to this seminar, or I went to this class, or I did this program, and this led to all of the change. Instead, what they heard, the people that were in their church that were changing the most had one, one 
very simple habit, and here's what it was. They said, every day, at some point in my day, I get up and I read my Bible. And I contemplate God and his glory and his grace and his generosity and his patience. And the spirit shows up to that. And so it sounds like a very preacher thing to say, right? Read our Bibles every day, right? But there's something to it. Paul says that is where the Spirit shows up. It's just a simple thing like opening up the book of John and say, I'm going to read a chapter every day of the Bible and I'm going to contemplate God's glory. We contemplate the Lord's glory publicly. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together. Worship services like this are important. And so we live in a day and age where the average person attends a Sunday morning service one and a half times a month on average. I'm not looking to bust on anybody or judge anyone, but I'm just telling you, change happens when we contemplate God's glory. And one and a half times, I am not surprised by studies that show that Christians look the exact same as the world. It is not shocking to me at all. When we stop as a discipline contemplating God's glory, we stop changing. We do. Because it is the process through which the Spirit shows up. We contemplate the Lord's glory in community, Small groups and Sunday schools are so important. We contemplate the Lord's glory in nature, going for a nature walk and just, man, not today, it's cold, but, right? Man, the heavens declare your glory. The earth declares your glory. And our current culture right now, you know what the message would be on change? Focus on you, manifest whatever life you want, and you will see change. Manifest yourself and you will see change. One of the ways that I saw this, and I'm not looking to bust on Aaron Rodgers, although that might be welcome here, I don't know, with all the Bears fans. I'm not looking to bust on Aaron Rodgers. But I will, I will never forget watching the pregame of the first game of the season, and they said, do you think you could go to a Super Bowl? And he said, I have been manifesting this. That's the word he used. I have been manifesting this since preseason. So yeah. I am manifesting it in my heart and my mind that we're going to go to the Super Bowl. Three plays later, he had an Achilles tear. I'm not saying God did that to him. I'm saying manifesting is dumb. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. God didn't tear his Achilles. Manifestation is dumb. It's untrue. It's unbiblical. Contemplation of God's glory is the truth not manifestation. It's ridiculous. You know how long I've been manifesting myself to be a millionaire? (laughs) And how many dollars have have resulted in my bank account as a result of that manifestation? Zippo, right? So it's dumb. I, I know this is being recorded, but it's dumb. Contemplation is what we're taught in the scriptures. Contemplation of his glory. The spirit shows up to that and he changes our hearts. So I want to end this sermon. I don't know what change you want to see this year. This is the end of the series. But I just want to remind you of his glory for a minute on the screen for you. I want to remind you that God is love. Romans 5.8 says God shows us his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You could set a resolution to be more loving. There wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Don't hear me condemning resolution setting. Or we could contemplate Romans 5.8 and how much God 
loves us, that he would give his son for us. God is patient. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You could set a resolution to be more patient with your kids, sure, or your spouse, or, or whatever. Or you could really think about how patient God's been with you and this world. God is giving, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You could set some giving goals, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that, but don't forget to contemplate on the generosity of God. God keeps his promises that God is not man that, that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You could say, you know, like, man, you, you could say, man, I've been setting promises and not keeping those promises. I'm going to set a res- resolution to, I'm going to speak the truth more. You, you could do that and there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But just remember, there is no lie in God. He doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. God is merciful, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And God is holy. And one another, and one called to another and said uh, in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I know I probably have not said a single new thing today but I just want to remind us of how Paul says this works. It is so important. It's not manifestation. It's not mask wearing. It's not all of that. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. He knew that change came through contemplation. When we contemplate God's glory, the spirit shows up and changes our hearts and our minds. And that makes not just change possible, it makes it guaranteed. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the day. Uh, Right now, we're getting ready to receive communion as a church family. And this is a great time to practice what Paul has preached to us. It is a great time to practice contemplation. And so right now, we want to contemplate your love. We want to contemplate your grace and your patience and your generosity all things that we want to do, your wisdom. We even talked about that. We just want to contemplate all that you are and we want to see the Holy Spirit show up to this process and begin to change our hearts and change our minds as the result. And it's only then that resolutions really have lasting change. It's when our hearts are different and our minds are different that goal setting really does work when that's happened first. So right now, We contemplate you. We love you. We're grateful for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together right now as a family. Like I said, this is a great chance. We do this every single Sunday of contemplation. To just think about beholding, looking in the mirror at Jesus. And just saying, man, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And I am telling you guys, it sounds so simple and it is. But it's a hard discipline to keep up, right? But as we do it, the Spirit shows up and begins to change us from the inside out. So you can receive communion. I'll come back up in just a minute, and we'll take it together as a church family. But right now, as they're passing it, just spend some time contemplating who God is and what he's done.
his body given for you, his blood poured out. God, as we get ready to leave this place, may we engage in a discipline of contemplation daily, weekly, all the time, driving around, just noticing a sunrise or a sunset, noticing some beautiful snow. May we remember your grace that washes our sin white as snow. A sunrise, may we remember your power and your, that you hold the universe in your hands. May we look for ways to contemplate who you are and what you've accomplished and what your character is. And may we be forever changed by it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We stand up. We're going to close with one last song. And a couple of our elders will be in the overflow right after church. They'd love to pray with you if you have a a prayer request or a prayer need or answer any questions you have about faith or Jesus, about our church. They'd they'd love to meet with you over there. Uh, Really glad that you're here. This concludes this series. We're going to start uh, the Big Ten next week and just start looking at uh, these ten stories that appear in all four Gospels. And these are big stories and they're in there for a big reason, and we're going we're gonna to study those each and every week. Let's close with one last song. Stay warm.